Hello. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on Our Lives podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Great. I have been reading all your stuff, watching uh, the videos on Instagram, which I kind of get drawn into and I feel that they need to be longer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Instagram only lets you go a minute. That's I the know, problem. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love your stuff and I, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, but I guess, first of all, so that people have an idea of, of who you are and just kind of a brief summary before we go into some more detail, just tell me about you and yourself really oh of course so yeah I am um, I'm 61 mm -hmm. and I live in uh, California Northern California in the United States mm. and I let's see I am a licensed marriage and family therapist of 30 years mm -hmm. and I unfortunately had to close my counseling practice because of my disease which is pulmonary fibrosis um, but I'm I've been married for 40 years to my husband Dave and we have two adult children, and um, I'm also an author and blogger and columnist, um, and I'm just fighting to live the best life I can uh, with a very serious terminal illness. Yeah, nice. I, I, I'm going to be quoting you probably throughout some of this because I've picked up some just really beautiful and original things that I've not heard other people talk about oh my goodness um, yeah they're really nice um but I can't, I'll kind of go on to that I guess you're I noticed that you were brought up in California which is one of my absolute favorite places oh, cool. I, I love <laughs> California I traveled up the coast and it was just an amazing experience um, yeah that is beautiful isn't it oh, so good yeah so what was growing up in California like for you Oh, it was lovely. I, I actually grew up in Southern California, so um, near Los Angeles. On the, mm -hmm. I was in a suburb in Los Angeles, and mm -hmm. it was great. I lived uh, in a, a city called Burbank and went to school there, graduated all in the same house um, all of that time, and had good friends, and just was really lovely, mm -hmm. and um, went to, actually went to school in Southern California. I went to UCLA. And for my um, under, uh, bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously there was the normal difficulties of life that everyone has. But um, I would say I just really enjoyed it. We yeah. weren't on the beach. That would have been the only thing that would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love how you said that. There's the normal difficulties that everybody has. Right. And, uh, and there's this thing around perception of the things that we deal with in life, isn't it? Because, you know, my grandfather used to talk about this. You know, there were some really tough times that he had, but he never really dwelled on it. And it is mm -hmm. a choice that we make. So it's fascinating. You said it's just the, the normal things that we go through. Um, but I guess that's really something that you've learned through your education as well and your mm -hmm. vast experience within psychology and human, the way that human behavior is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Was that something you've always been interested in? Because it sounds like you've really dedicated your life to that. Oh, thank you. You know, I'll tell you, my first interest was... Um, it's very interesting. It's sort of a, 
a positive thing and a not so positive thing that led me in that direction. I think that's how most things are, honestly, Mm -hmm. um, is I, I grew up in a family, a very, a nice family, nice people, but I was always kind of the person in the middle of my parents. Um, Mm. they did not get along. They, they weren't abusive or anything, nothing like that, Mm. but they just didn't get along very well. And Mm. so, um, I was always that person we call it in family therapy, we call it the peacekeeper, but I was always the person who tried to figure out, okay, what's mom upset about? What's dad upset about? What's my sister upset about? You know, always Mm. trying to figure out. So honestly, I kind of became really good at reading people, but not for a good reason at all. I mean, a kid shouldn't have to figure all that out, but I I did. And then when I got in high school, I took psychology just as one of the uh, electives that you can take. And I just Mm. loved it. And I kind of, it's so funny. I look back and I had no idea what I was doing, but I kind of impromptu started a support group at school and (laughs) not weird. And just once a week, I just decided, you know, me and my friends, and there was probably, I don't know, six of us, maybe we should once a week on Fridays, I think I picked Friday, we should just have lunch in a, you know, a separate place and just talk about how we're all doing. So, I mean, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but isn't that so funny? It's brilliant. But it's then brilliant. that's kind of how it started. And then I went, I, I was fortunate in that I knew what I wanted to do going into college. I mean, I think most people, it's ext- incredibly normal and, and usual that a person goes into college and doesn't know, you know, they want to try a bunch of things. But I was fortunate in that I knew what I wanted to do, um, yeah. that I wanted to be specifically a counselor and do counseling and help people through difficult times. Yeah, I love that. That's a it, what a gift, and you were clearly meant to do it. From <laughs> look at your stuff. Yeah, what's what's been the? I mean, it it sounds like you just kind of had that planned out. It kind of came to you, and it was like absolutely, this is what I'm meant to do. But mm-hmm. have you had challenges along the way with regards to your counseling and um, and your psychology role that you've taken on there? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, I think uh, after I graduated from UCLA, um, then I needed to go to graduate school. And I I really credit my husband. We were married. I think we'd been married maybe a couple years at the time. And um, I really credit him for pushing me to study for the GRE, which is in in United States. That's the test you take before you apply to graduate school. And it really has a huge impact on where you get in. And, um, and I did well on it, but only because he encouraged me to study two hours a day for the summer, you know, mm-hmm. and I took it and I did well, but I would have done, I took the pre-test before and it was horrible. So, I mean, I, I really <laughs> credit him for, for helping me get ready. And then once I got in grad school, I really, you know, I really was focused. I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, there's all the normal struggles of, um, at least out here, I don't know what it's like where you are, but you have to go through like a lot, not, you have to pass two state tests and you have mm. to accumulate 3000 hours of, of counseling on people mm. before you can get your license. So that was a long process, yeah. but the great thing is once I got it, then I'm just done. I mean, I have to do mm. continuing education and I, I've kept my license, um, alive, even though things don't look good for me health wise, mm. but that would be something that would be very hard to give up because I worked so hard to get it. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Um, so you have two adult children mm-hmm. as well. Yes. And you talked, 
beautifully about the reason why you wrote one of your books mm-hmm. um now let me i've written some notes what was <laughs> what's that sure um, yeah do you want to tell me yes give your kids a break parenting yes. with compassion for you and your children now i mean i do emotional intelligence workshops as is i think you already know for children yes. so yes. I, I was Wonderful. fascinated with the <laughs> stuff that you're producing and and your outlook and one of the things that i like it, it was so powerful to me was when parents learn to be kind to themselves their kids will too mm-hmm. because yep. I, I work with people who are parents who are beating themselves up yeah. all the time yeah. about how they parent and you talked about parenting with compassion mm-hmm. you know and I and I'm, I'm definitely going to be talking about, you know, your book and, and the work that you do in, in, within my work. Because oh, I'm so glad. That, yeah, that, I mean, I don't specialise in it as, as you do, but it seems to come up more and more, oh, this yeah. kind of, I'm not doing enough for my children, I feel mm-hmm. guilty about this. And, and th- that this needs to be something that changes um, mm-hmm. around that, that message. You know, I say... If you are consciously parenting, you're doing okay. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. if you're consciously being aware of um, wanting to parent in the right way, right. then it's hugely powerful. You're already kind of winning, effectively. It is. It is because yeah. you're not, you're, and all of us, every single person, when we're stressed, we fall into old patterns. Mm. And it's just totally normal. I mean, it's not like some weird thing. It's like what everybody does. So you're mm. right. If you're consciously aware, you have a chance of like maybe taking a couple deep breaths and talking to yourself nicely. Um, you have yeah. a chance to not react, just react. And so you're right about the consciousness. It's super important. Yeah. T- tell me about the book, how it came about and and really who it would be kind of aimed at I mean let's talk about how it came about first because there's this beautiful story behind (laughs) that yeah so I'm going to give a little fact that led into that that might not seem like it's connected but it is but um, so I my first book I've published three books now my first book was uh, called um, give yourself a break turning your inner critic into a compassionate friend it's actually been republished as the power of positive self-talk, but it's the same book. Mm-hmm. So it's under yeah. both titles. It's the same book, but the publisher mm-hmm. published it, did a reissue of it under a different title, but it's the same book. But anyway, mm-hmm. so that I published that. And then, um, and so, and the, and where that came from, and this relates to the parenting book is, it is part of my counseling practice that kind of developed over time was teaching my clients how to be compassionate with themselves. Mm. And I just noticed that people weren't. I mean, people were so hard on themselves. Like, they're way harder on themselves than any other person could ever be. And then yeah. you carry yourself around all the time and you're mean to yourself. I mean, you know, but <laughs> the main reason is people just don't know any different. I mean, it isn't intentional. It, no. They just don't know what else to do. And so that had been part of my counseling practice for a long time. And I would say to people, you will relate to this, but I would say to people, you know, you should talk to yourself kindly about, you know, whatever the thing is they're going through. Mm-hmm. And every time, and I'm not kidding you, I felt like they all had memorized a script. Every time they would say, I don't know what to say. 
And I would say, well, I know what to say. And so I would tell them what they should say. And then finally I decided, okay, I should like publish this because clearly no people don't understand this, you know? Yeah. So I had published that first book. So I was already very much in the self-compassion world. So then, um, when I was, I've, I've had pulmonary fibrosis for four and a half years and, the the lifespan is supposedly uh, three to five years. And so mm-hmm. about a year, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, I faced that I was, uh, while one of my children is married, um, I faced that, you know, I'm not going to get to be a grandma most likely, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be there to help them raise their children. And I mean, that has been one of my life things I've looked forward to is being the grandma who comes and helps and yeah. you know passes on good parenting and you know not perfect parenting but good enough parenting and <laughs> um and then I realized conscious you know, parenting yes yeah, just parenting exactly conscious parenting <laughs> exactly yeah. and just realized that you know that wasn't going to happen so I just kept thinking well what could I do to help them what I won't be able yeah. to be there in person but what could I do and and part of my professional life was I was a a public speaker to lots of topics but a lot of them on parenting and relationships and all that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. so I had on my computer 20 years worth of parenting stuff that I had taught and I just thought you know I'm going to pull that all into a book for them I'm just going to publish a book just for them and that was my whole intention Mm -hmm. and um and so I started to do it and and that stuff didn't have a lot of self-compassion parenting in it because it was so old that I hadn't, you know, started writing that way until yeah. somewhat recently. And so, um, I, uh, I started adding that to it. Anyway, as I was writing, <laughs> it's so funny. I feel silly saying it, but it, it's okay. Um, I was like, <laughs> this is really good. Like this book is really good. <laughs> but then I thought, well, wait, that's not silly because seriously, would I publish a book that was no good? I mean, no, I wouldn't. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I uh, I thought you know this is I think this could help a lot of people not just my kids and yeah. so I talked to both of them and I my intention was to be to publish it and surprise them and hand it to them but I decided you know what I need to ask them first and tell them my plan so I just yeah. said you know, I told them this is what I was doing for them for the future and it was very tender you know that moment yeah. of telling both of them um, but I said you know would you mind if I publish it self publish it. Um, because I'd like other people to get it too. And they said, oh, of course, that's fine. So that's kind of how it happened. And, um, and so the, you know, you read the title, the, um, parent, so the give your, give your kids a break and parenting with compassion for you and your children. And the, the point of that, that I wanted to try to get across is this is not another book about, okay, this is what you should be doing. Okay, you're doing it wrong. Okay, you know, I didn't want that kind of a book. I wanted a book where parents could learn to be compassionate with themselves. And then just as a natural byproduct, they would then be able to pass it on to their children. So their children could be compassionate with themselves as they walk through the difficulties of life, which is like every day, several times. Yeah. And so, um, so that's kind of how that all happened. It's and it's the right approach, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not just this constant. Oh, don't do this to the child. Don't right. do that. Yeah, so, you know, Who speak wants to, to them that? like that. <laughs> yeah. And I have lots of. I mean, I'm I'm actually quite proud of that book because I think it's it's very usable. It's it's mm-hmm. not a. 
I, I am personally not somebody who just likes theory and ideas and like, I, I'm like, who cares about that? Like it needs to be practical. So yeah. I have in there like things you actually can say to yourself. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, conversations with children that, you know, are not so compassionate, but then are compassionate. So it's yeah. very, very practical. And then it just shares lots of things just about parenting. I mean, it talks about connecting and boundaries and chores. And I mean, like, there's a lot of practical topics, but in each topic is the theme of being compassionate with yourself. Yeah. You talked about that compassionate parenting was not something that had been really heavy within your parenting talks and your, mm-hmm. and, and your work before. Right. Do you think that it wasn't um, an issue before? Or do you think it's just hmm. something that you discovered as being quite important later on? I think it's I think it's the latter that I discovered it being important later on. I think parents from the very beginning with Adam and Eve were <laughs> were never kind <laughs> to themselves. So um, I think that's been a longstanding problem. But yeah, yeah, I think I just became you know as I became a parent and worked through you know all the hardships of I mean parenting is great, but boy, is it tough. Mm. I mean, that's a yeah. lot of a lot of work and a lot of heartache a lot of the time. Mm, and I don't, mm. I'm not a perfect mother. I have perfect children. I mean, you know, it's just, mm. it's hard work. It's worth yeah. it, but it's really hard work. So I think I probably became sensitized myself yeah. and uh, just, yeah, over time, I would say it grew as I grew maybe. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Cause I think the thing is, is we have such access now mm-hmm. to yeah. so much information. Yeah. It allows us, to our minds to compare without knowing that we're comparing Uh uh-huh well that's good and so yeah and so when we're looking at parents or the way that we look or we you know whatever role we take on we have so much information to compare and then sometimes Mm -hmm. we go oh god you know and that can be so much well and especially Um, with social media I mean I there's obviously good things about social media but there's so much damage that occurs and yes. people do, you know, people don't post their worst moments, right? They only post their no. best ones. And yeah. so you're, you know, you know, all your worst moments. And so you're comparing yourself with other people and their perfect little yeah. whatever. I mean, it looks that way. Of course, it isn't that way at all. But I think that makes it even worse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I, you talked also just then about the moment that you said to your children that you had written the book and mm-hmm. and that kind of tender moment that you had do you think that they've been um those conversations you know obviously they they are difficult yeah um but do you think those conversations generally uh, as humans we hide behind like we obviously avoid those conversations of death and the end oh yes and Mm. the thing that surprised me i think i don't know why it would surprise me but it does surprise me still is that I'm super comfortable with it, talking about it, because I'm living it every day. I'm aware of it every day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a constant for me. And so, and, and I'm not a denial person, so I, I'm very open about it. It's not hard for me to talk about. But mm-hmm. it's still hard for other people in my life, even though I've had those kinds of conversations. I think, mm-hmm. you know, your loved ones, your friends and your loved ones fall into you know, maybe she'll be okay, or maybe she'll be the exception, or maybe she'll get a lung transplant, or maybe, you know, and I have some of that too. I mean, I'm not, Mm. but I'm I'm less, I I do that less because it's so obvious, you know, every Mm. day I'm on oxygen 24 seven, and I'm dragging a cord everywhere. And I, 
can't, I mean, you know, and I, I actually have had a, what we call in little lung world an exacerbation in the last month. And so I've gotten worse. I lost another 20% of my lung function. And so I'm, I'm, it's, everything's harder now, like really hard. And so, um, I'm reminded all the time, you know, but they're not. And so it, I would think these conversations would continue to be, would be easier, but they're not. And, and the thing that I do that I need to work on, I think is not helpful. It's not bad, but it's not helpful is I just jump in. Like I'm, cause I've, I've been thinking about this thing for like three days, you know? And so I'll just jump in, you know? Yeah. I just want to let you know, we made all of our funeral arrangements and here's the folder mm-hmm. where it is. And it's just like the shock mm-hmm. I'll look on the face. I'm like, Oh shoot, I should have worked into that. And yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I have to be more careful yeah. about that. I, I, I'm completely moved by the conversation, I have to say, because I imagine um, myself in your shoes and your uh, children's shoes and your husband's shoes. And, um, and so that's incredibly moving. Do you think, you know, for me, I believe that we need to be having more conversations so because it's quite normal to say oh i've i the funeral arrangements are there because that's it's the only thing that we know is going to happen like we don't know that we're going to have children we don't know that we'll get married in (laughs) fact you could probably avoid taxes if you wanted to there is nothing that Mm -hmm. is is more definite than our own death but as you as you quite rightly put out you know even though you have been given a terminal diagnosis many people say oh but you you might live and then when you do live you'll live forever right and... I know. <laughs> it's, it's actually crazy and that, but... yeah, that's still not right you know mm-hmm. um it's it's you know we still won't live forever and none of us will live forever right and even when you know you see these wonderful statements that people make oh you know you've only got one life and oh I know, you know everyone dies You're like oh, yeah so but, unhelpful yeah <laughs> but nobody really understands it and I think it's only when you have had um a near-death experience mm-hmm. or you have been very close to someone who's died or you've experienced death in some way yeah that you really start to be more as you said you know here here are the here his the will and we've done mm-hmm. our wills etc yeah right um you talk about uh, your relationship with your husband so beautifully and how he supported you through um mm-hmm. and and kind of drove you to, to kind of go in a brilliant <laughs> direction that really mm-hmm. suited you and and obviously your life has been about relationships i'm curious as to what you think are the most important qualities in a marriage or partnership Oh my goodness. That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm sure I can come up with an answer. So, um, (laughs) you know, the first thing that it came to me was kindness Mm. and trust. Yeah. Um, obviously love, but commitment, you know, that you're in it for the long haul. I think that's what I was. Yeah. You're in it for the long haul and you're going to treat each other kindly. Yeah. Now, we haven't always done that. I mean, honestly, the we've 40 years, that's a long time. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's a long time. And I, you know, we've had a lot of rough spots, mm-hmm. but we were committed to stick with it and work them through. And I'm so glad we did. I mean, there yeah. were times I could have just totally bailed out. Just, and again, normal things of life. We're not, I'm not talking about 
humongous things. I'm talking about, you know, the hard things of life that you disagree with and the, mm. the difficulties raising children and, the, mm. you know, the stresses of the world. And I mean, these are like normal things. And it's so amazing because we, everybody gets all bent out of shape about things that are like, duh. I mean, like, that's just part of life. And you have to learn to have, you know, you have to make, have skills, which, you know, you work on emotional intelligence. I mean, it's mm. so important, but you have to have skills to manage the normal yeah. difficulties of life rather than trying to run around all the time and change them. Like, don't mm. do that to me. That hurts me. I'm sensitive. And <laughs> it's like, well, good Lord, you're going to have a really hard life. if You don't know how to deal with the basics of, yeah, you're going to be really frustrated. People yeah. are going to hurt you a lot. There's yeah. going to be times you want to give up. Yeah, that's life. Yeah. And so us developing skills to effectively deal with that and be kind to ourselves and others in our life in the process, I think is, is just key, yeah. including a marriage. Yeah. My father always said that to me. Always ask yourself if he is kind. Mm-hmm. And that yes. is a huge thing. And, yes. you know, in, in every eventuality, if you are being kind to each other, and it's, it's not necessarily in just marriages but in partnerships uh-huh. are you yes. being kind to each other yeah and and sometimes it's hard you have to check in with yourself and go mm-hmm. god was was i being kind was I, oh, okay you know maybe yeah. i need right. to, to kind of do something about that <laughs> right right i want i watched something that ellen talked about for or maybe it was something that she said she said you know the thing is is I do kindness things all the time and so then I'm expected to be kind all the time I don't always get it right you know it was that kind of thing you know and it's so true isn't it we don't always get it right but it's being consciously aware enough to say Mm -hmm. okay kind I I wasn't getting it right then and so yeah you know I need to backtrack in some way Mm um so yeah, I, the videos that you've been doing, I just love them. I kind of get drawn into them. Oh, and, um, thank you. Yeah, really, really um, lovely. Um, the processing grief as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Because sure. I loved your thoughts on that. I went through my own grief, and and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was really nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. I, that that means a lot to me because. It's one thing to hear that from somebody who's literally, you know, just, I don't know, what are the words to talk about grief? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's so everything. I mean, it's so all of you and every part of you and all of that. But I guess I would just say that, you know, grief to me, I, I have these, I have four things that I feel like have kept me positive and going and you know, making the best of things. One is, I'm going to get to grief because grief is one of them. One of them is my faith. That has been Mm. a huge pillar for me. Mm. Um, The second one is grief, is grieving well, being able to process through feelings and not getting stuck in them. And the third is self-compassion, which we already talked about. And then the Mm. fourth is is the support of family and friends. I have a lot of support and it helps. Um, But grief is, is the second one for me. And the way I look at it is, you know, grieving, grief is basically saying goodbye to something or someone that was absolutely dear to you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, obviously we think about grief with the death of a loved one, of course, that's the worst kind. Um, But there's grief of, you know, losing your health, losing Mm -hmm. your job, losing just even your dreams of what you thought your life would be like. It's different. It could even be 
a really good life, but it's different than you thought. I mean, there's grief for little kids for, you know, they're licking an ice cream cone and the ice cream falls down on the ground, right? I mean, like, life is full of grief all, you know, like, all throughout the day. Yeah. Like, little disappointments. And so the thing is, and then there's the huge ones, right? But being able to learn how to grieve the little things helps you grieve the big things. And so, you know, grief has lots of stages. You know them better than I do, I'm sure. But, you know, lots of different feelings of confusion and denial and trying to bargain with God or anybody else to change what's happening and, mm -hmm. and depression and, you know, sadness and anxiety. And, um, and then hopefully at the end, acceptance um, of like, this is what it is. And this is my life is no longer the same. You know, either I'm living life without this person or I'm living life. Like for me, I have a terminal lung illness. Like what the heck, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about how that actually occurred, but the fact that it even occurred and how it occurred is also what the heck, you know? And mm -hmm. so, but it's working through all the feelings and just letting yourself have, have the feelings and, but being kind to yourself about them. Like it's like, I'll give you an example. I mean, I'm, I'm actually in a grief process right now because I, like I said, I, I've had a recent exacerbation where my lung function, I used to have 47% of the lung function that a normal person would have. Well, I now have 38%. Mm -hmm. And I, so I have like just a little more than a third mm -hmm. of my lungs available to breathe that a normal person would have. And mm -hmm. that, that from 47 to 38 may not sound like a lot, but it's 20% yeah. loss of what I had. And so I've really noticed it and, yeah. and it's changed some things for me. I mean, I've had to think about a lot of things that I'm doing and some other things I need to make sure I take care of some things here at home and the important like end of life. I mean, I've done and all that, but there's some other things I want to do that I mm -hmm because I was feeling better and um, mm. social media that I'm going to stop doing. Like, I just have to start thinking about stopping things that are taking precious time and energy and, and adding yeah. a few things that are meaningful to me. And so I'm in a grief process. And so my husband, I had gotten the new, I mean, I knew something wasn't right, but I saw the doctor about a week ago and mm. got it confirmed in actual data. And mm. I told my husband, you know, I'm just really sad. I'm going to be sad for a while. And so I just let myself be sad and yes. I wore all black one day and, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be happy. I'm just going to be sad. But like yeah. for me, it really helps because if I just allow the sadness, it actually passes through me. Like yeah. it doesn't get stuck inside of me. It just yeah. passes through. And then over time, you know, I mean, you know, lots of time, but over time I just feel a lot better. Yeah. I feel more optimistic and then I'm able to enjoy the life I have rather than, you know, being stuck in the grief. Yeah. I, I, and I'm sure there's going to be listeners out there that are going to take huge um, lessons and comfort from those words because mm. that whole process, I, I, you took me back to journaling through my own grief and I went, I'm sad right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah. went to the doctors and said, I can't cope. I don't know what to do. Mm. Um, and they said, oh, well, we'll give you some tablets. And I said, I don't need, I don't need tablets yeah, I don't because tablets. I'm sad. I'm right. sad right now, but I just mm -hmm. need, I don't know what to do. And, right. and I kind of, 
made my way through that journey Mm. on my own but it was that good processing you know Mm -hmm. now I look back on it and I you were really describing that process for me I said actually you know I'm going to stay in the house right now and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm going to do exactly what I want to do and all the future was very very black to me if I looked Mm -hmm. at anything in the future but there was just a pinhole of light that came through and I thought I know that there's something beyond this Mm. I just can't get there right now and I don't want to don't want to go there at the moment yeah and and I'm just gonna feel a bit sad yeah um and I you talked about this whole GPS system which I love Mm, like uh the processing of emotions is your GPS system and Mm -hmm. you're kind of working your way around it and this curiosity Mm -hmm. about what you're feeling yeah yeah I love that because what I and I've written an article about this is what we tend to do is jump on the surface of stuff and then I don't want to delve into it because I know that might make me feel bad yeah so I'm not gonna try and find out what why I feel that Mm -hmm. or what that emotion is about it's just you know your writing is just you know I'm so in tune with it and and totally on board well good we're we're walking the same path yeah Yeah, that's right absolutely but I want to um, say one thing about what you said because I loved how you described that of like no I'm not going to go there and then the people mm-hmm. see people all of us all of us people think that that's a solution <laughs> you know it's yeah. like, okay that'll work it's like no actually that doesn't work so what that ends up with is staying stuck in grief longer that ends yes. up with starting to do addictions to not feel. Yes. That ends up with sniping at your family and ruining relationships. I mean, like, that actually doesn't work, you know? No. So it's just sort of saying, you know what? I want to take, I, I would say the hard road, but like the permanently helpful road. Yeah. Like, you know, in other words, like, you can hear from talking to me, like, this is not good what's happening in my life, right? No. But I'm fine. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm. Mm. I, I myself am fine. My lungs are screwed up, right? But mm. but me, Kim, I'm fine. But yes. I wouldn't be fine had I not been going through so much grief and allowing that to, yeah. to happen. Yeah. This is this is nobody else talks about that or that I've come across. Mm. That, really? that I've come across. Oh, about wow. the um, no about the levels of grief, sorry. Okay. Yeah. In terms of we are grieving all the time. When people think of grief, it's yes. something I t- yes. noted was you talk so beautifully about how we grieve consistently and mm-hmm. there's a process to that and how mm-hmm. we think about that process. So if we think about how we feel over the maybe what is deemed as being smaller griefs right, um, and work through that process, when we grieve later on, we're building up that resilience. And mm-hmm. I don't think that we probably do that I certainly probably never did before um I went through the loss of somebody in my grief but certainly I I'm so on board with that with we Mm -hmm. grieve consistently and we should accept that you know the end of a relationship or you know whatever it is it's it's such a form of grief um it is and I I actually talk about that um in the parenting book I have a whole section so that parents can teach their children to do that I mean, I just have all kinds of stuff and I talk about the different stages and what that looks like and what parents can say. Um, Because if you don't, I mean, if you don't know, how are you going to pass it on? You just aren't. I mean, and it's, and that's not bad because the good news is we can find out. And then in the book that the the book I just released, um, which is pulmonary fibrosis journey, 
a counselor and fellow patient walks with you. Mm -hmm. I have a huge, I think I have four chapters on grief in that book because there is that the thing that I noticed was not only was there very little, very little information for patients about pulmonary fibrosis, which is a rare lung disease, a rare disease, um, is that there was zero on handling the emotions of it. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to include, look at, this is what's normal. This is how people feel. Mm -hmm. Old chapter before grief about a about having constantly, and this is true for chronic illnesses. You know, here I have my no- new normal, and now well, last week I have mm-hmm. got now another normal, and that's meanwhile adjust to that. And, mm-hmm. and adjusting, adjusting, I think, is part of grief as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, most of us just haven't been given not just the information, but I would say the practical way of applying. Yes. Nice one of my strengths is that I talk in regular old language and <laughs> I talk like, you know, like I'm not a, I have an advanced degree, but like, so what? I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. What matters is, can I use what I just, can I, what do I do? Kind of like you said, I don't know what to do. It's like, that's what I write about. I write about, yeah. okay, here's what you do. Yeah. And so um, I just think that that P like the thing that really, hits me about being diagnosed with either a chronic illness or a terminal illness is that when you can't work through, you just don't know how to work through all the emotions. What ends up happening is you end up losing, enjoying the life that you have. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the tragedy is, is if, unless you're able to work through all of that, you're going to lose the life that you have. You're going to lose the time you have. And that's horrible. You know, I was like, that's no good. It's such, I I read that as well. And I have noted that it's it's such a powerful statement, really. You know, when we don't manage our grief Mm -hmm. through things, we lose the life that we have. Yes. Yeah. It's so true. And the same with the numbing, you know, if we don't channel that um, and work through our emotions and we use you know, alcohol, drugs, mm-hmm. and all the other um, things that we use to numb ourselves. And even right. in, in some ways, social media and, uh-huh. you know, all that TV. kind of thing. I mean, you know, people all are just that. numbing. Yeah. yeah. And that consistent numbing mm-hmm. allows you to stop processing mm-hmm. um, emotions. Now, obviously, you, you know, I used kind of television in between things. and Oh, and, sure. Um, but I think when it's kind of all the time, you're just blocking it out, right. it right. becomes. Mm-hmm. You know, counterintuitive. Absolutely. Um, you, I'm, I'm conscious of time for us, and um, I feel like I could talk all day. But I'm doing okay. Talk- so. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, you tell me when you're not. And okay. um, so you wanted to talk about how did it all occur in the first place? Because mm, you also, yeah, yeah I, I read a little bit about this. So do. Do tell listeners. Yeah, sure. So um, a little over five, so five and a half years ago, I was doing a breast exam and I found a lump and I was a good patient and I called the doctor immediately. They had me come in and they, you know, they did an exam and they sent me to do an ultrasound and they sent me to do a biopsy and then they called two days later and said I had breast cancer. And that I had the really aggressive kind. 
that only 10% of people get. It's called triple negative. And so, you know, the, the call, and I was at work, I was between clients, if you can imagine seeing clients. And, um, she called, you know, I still remember, I'll never forget that. She goes, hi, you know, this is Dr. So-and-so. And I'm sorry to tell you that you have uh, breast cancer and you'll be seeing the doctor on Monday and you'll be having surgery in a week after that. <laughs> and I was like, what, whoa, 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 what, <laughs> you yeah. know? So I just wow. cried and, you know, after I hung up, I cried and, and I, it was weird. And you're just going to think this is like a made up thing, but it really did happen. Cause yeah. I just, you know, I cried, I prayed. And then I just said, you know what? I'm going to be a really good friend to myself on this journey. And the reason I think I said that was because I was walking that journey with my best friend who had breast cancer. And right. I knew what that was like. Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be really hard. And so then I had to get myself together and go get my next client. And I mean, you know, it was really difficult. But anyway, so I went through basically nine months of treatment. I had a lumpectomy. They took the lump out and then I went through chemo and then I went through radiation. And so it was really hard, like seriously harder than anything I've ever been through. The chemo yeah. especially was just, well, it turns out, of course I didn't know it at the time, but I particularly had a harder reaction to it than most people, just even, just even my experience of it. But I didn't know, you know, I talked mm -hmm. to other people and I go, well, yeah, that didn't happen to me. I'm like, what? So, <sighs> um, so anyway, it's so sad, actually. So I finished radiation. It was on a Monday, and I was so excited. And I, I actually, on my way home from radiation, I went to re-enroll in my gym because I had stopped going because I just really couldn't go. So I re-enrolled in my gym, and I had four good days. And I actually went to the gym a couple times during those four days. And on the fifth day, I noticed that I couldn't take a deep breath. Like, if you, you know, you breathe in. It, like I couldn't breathe all the way in and it wasn't like it was distressing. I wasn't out of breath, but I was like, Oh, that's weird. So mm -hmm. I called the doctor. I went in that day and they said, um, like, go get a chest x-ray. So they got one and they saw some stuff in there and they, they said, Oh, you probably have pneumonia. I'm thinking, well, that's weird. Anyway. So I took all the pills. Of course, nothing worked. Went mm -hmm. to a specialist. Anyway, it turned out, fortunately they diagnosed mine pretty quickly, which is not common for this disease, usually gets misdiagnosed all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but because I'd had just come off of chemo and everything, is that they determined that I had a very rare reaction, like only one to 2% of people does this happen to, where they develop pulmonary fibrosis, mm -hmm. which is a scarring in your lungs that is progressive, mm -hmm. um, but that I had developed it from the chemo and the radiation. So mm -hmm. it's like extremely rare. My dog, I had four doctors tell me, like they had a combined experience of 80 years. I had four doctors tell me that, yes, they'd read about this in the journal, but they'd never had a patient that had it. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, that doesn't seem right. Oh. I, and I just had, you know, I like I, my first doctor was terrible. And I mean, it's just very clinic. I'm like, he didn't really even explain it. He just goes, yeah, you have to be on oxygen. I said, what are you talking about? You have to use oxygen whenever you move around. I'm like, I am 57 years old. I am not pushing a cart around like someone who's 80. I'm not doing that. And yeah. so, because I was just like, what do you, and he didn't even explain to me the diagnosis or the portion. I didn't know the prognosis at that point, but, um, mm. 
But he said, well, they make these little machines you can put in a backpack and carry. And I said, all right, I'll do that. But like, it was just the initial experience was just terrible. And then he told my husband and I like two months later that I had six months to a year to live. And I was like, wow, what, what, what? So I got a different doctor, different medication. Praise God for that. But anyway, it was just a. Just such a low blow, like, you know, okay, first you have the rarest kind of breast cancer that's aggressive. And then the treatment to save, that's what our son said. He said, no, wait, let me get this. So the treatment to possibly save your life is going to be taking your life. I said, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's... Like, yes, that's true. What yes, you just said. That is true, right? So it, it's been a rough, like, five and a half years. You know, I this I took this from an article I read about you. It said Fre- Fredrickson was distraught, but amid th- uh, but am- amid that, she made a conscious decision to be kind to herself, to be a good friend. Mm-hmm. I am committed to not turn on myself or abandon myself during these difficult times. Mm-hmm. I I found that really. It's just. You know, when you talk and when I read your stuff, it feels so original. It's not something oh. else. It's not <laughs> words of somebody else. You know, I, I read and listen to psychology books all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm completely mm-hmm. engrossed in them. And, <laughs> um, and your work is really original. And, and I am committed to not turn on myself or abandon myself during these difficult times is such a beautiful statement that we should be all taking on as a mantra really um I agree I mean I think that's such a if you just think about it you know the only person that we're with all the time is ourselves yeah you know no matter who else is around us we're the only one and so you know to just sort of take that stance that says you know I'm going to do everything I can to make my life as you know as good as it can be I'm going to not beat myself up for being a human being who's struggling with a terrible thing you know, I'm going to do things that are good for me and try to drop the things that aren't good for me. Like, mm-hmm. what? Is, it's that's life changing. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it's life changing. It really is. Yeah. Um, do you, I, I guess, first of all, what, I mean, we talked about the key qualities. I'm kind of jumping at changing the well, um, slightly, but we were talking about the key qualities within a marriage what do you think key qualities are that people need to hold on to the most in in the world that we currently live in Mm. let's see well I'm going to share one that I know isn't necessarily shared by everyone but I but it's my answer you know so I'll Mm. I'll say my answer um for me my faith in God is just it's pivotal because while everything else may be falling apart, I, my belief and my experience is that God is good no matter what yeah. and that he doesn't ever change. Yeah. He's always the same. And mm-hmm. that he, in the Bible, um, all through the Bible, he never promises that we won't have our times. In fact, he's very open that we will. But the one thing he promises is that he will be with me through it no matter what. Yeah. That's his promise. So often people feel disappointed by God and which I, I mean, I totally get. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that he doesn't promise to 
take away all the bad things. We live in a really harsh world. I mean, mm. a lot of beautiful things, a lot of hard things. Mm. And what he does promise is that he will be with you through it all. So I would say uh, some kind of faith, you know, yeah, is just, it's just like, um, what would I say? It's, it's grounding for me. That's the right yeah. word. It's just grounding. It's, it, there's a, there's a really powerful thing around it's having a faith, having a, you know, there was quite an interesting thing. Somebody talked about, I, I don't believe that, uh, I believe that God is just love. Mm. And so if you replace the word God with love in everything that you do, Hmm. then that's what you should always believe, you know. Hmm. So, and having the, uh, what you're talking about there is really so powerful in the fact that we have to believe and hold on to something, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and and that goes for anything in life, really, having a belief. And, you know, I believe in what happens to, you know, I have a belief system on where we go beyond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was massive in helping me understand where my partner had gone. Mm -hmm. So and then there's so then you have that it's a belief. And and so what you're um, you, I think you know you're absolutely right. It's a really interesting thing for people to have a belief of whatever kind it is, really. And and yours has been God, and mm-hmm. and and that whole idea of it's only good, like there's mm-hmm. it, it's only ever goodness. And, and you know uh, the thing is, is that it's, of course it's so normal when you're dealing with a terminal illness or a loss of a loved one, like those are the things that come up, right? I mean, those are the questions that maybe you've put aside for a long time, Mm. but they come up, they're, they're right there in front of you. And you really, I mean, I would encourage people to wrestle with those. Um, So for me, I think that's the first one for me personally. I think the second is just what I've already said, like having a compassionate relationship with yourself because I really do have a pet peeve about, um, I have a big pet peeve about, <laughs> to be honest, about people being so easily offended and hurt and this and that, and that, that their solution is that other people change. Like, I'm only going to be okay if you believe something different, if you act differently, if you do this for me or you don't do this for me, mm-hmm. if you say this or you don't say this, like we put our, our well-being hostage in the hands of other people. And that is not where our well-being should be. And so, it, I mean, we need people. We want people. But our well-being should not be in the hands of, of anything like yeah. that. And so to me, when you're a good friend to yourself, you know, I can hear somebody say something I disagree with even vehemently. And I think, well, that's what they think. This is what I think. And how am I going to respond? Like, because you think that doesn't mean I think it. Or because you think it doesn't mean I have to do that. It means that's what you think. And yeah. so people, I think over, and I have seen, I have to say, I've seen this deteriorate over time is that people do not have a good relationship with themselves and they often don't think for themselves. They just react to other people and it's not good to be reactive. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to what you're saying of just being very conscious mm-hmm. of what's happening, but, you know, have that, have that comfort come from inside rather than trying to get all those needs met by outside of you. Cause that will like literally never work. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because we, it's all of your points there. It's just so 
powerful you know this kind of everybody getting offended by everything and people not and people just following other mm-hmm. people rather yeah. than believing in what they believe and there's that kind of lack of belief in mm-hmm. themselves and and yeah. all of that and a kindness to themselves and um, and a lack of belief in something you know whether it be religion mm-hmm. or or what they believe in or what they feel passionate about mm-hmm. etc it's uh, like yeah even like with parenting it made me think of a conversations I had with my kids and I think I even have this in the book that the parenting book that it's like oh yeah there's been people that don't like you I mean <laughs> you know there's going to be people that are saying mean things there's gonna be people that really don't want you to be their friend there's going to be yeah. people that are mean to you okay so we're going to talk about what you're going to do about that you know mm-hmm. what are you going to do about that not not how are you going to react back to them mm-hmm. I mean sometimes there's obviously a time that you you need to stand up but I think most of the time it's all internal yes. it's like yeah of course people aren't going to like you mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for a variety of reasons that like aren't maybe aren't even valid, but like nobody's everybody's cup of tea, right? So no. just equipping people to deal with that rather than running around trying to make everybody else change and just weeping yeah. because yeah. they're not. It's like, oh no. my gosh, you're gonna have a terrible life if you're like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. And it's you know, it's something that I see often in relationships mm-hmm. where right. they say, Well, um, I want them to you know do this Mm -hmm, and they mm -hmm. said I want them to do it differently Mm -hmm. okay but but have they changed since you since you married them (laughs) no I just I married them and then I thought it would change I know know, oh my god no really they won't (laughs) (laughs) and it isn't just that they won't it's that you won't either right no that's right (laughs) exactly you know it has to be to oh but that's not the best for them though yeah but (laughs) it's that's your opinion right you know? exactly that's not that's mm-hmm. they're okay doing whatever they're doing you know you just have to leave yeah. them to it and and um yeah and we often and and I see that such a huge amount in we want people to you know um uh, to, to change to fit mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. a mold that we make right. for them and that's right. not you know and that's not productive I, nope. I guess um <laughs> I have one uh, final question, which I uh, ask everybody really, and I can't wait for your answer. But um, (laughs) what um, what do you think the world should do differently right now? You know, with everything that's going on, and what do you think Mm. that we should be doing differently? Yeah, boy, that is a complicated answer. (laughs) I think a couple things. I mean, it they're all parts of the same answer but I think the first one is to mm, I'm trying to think of the right word this isn't quite the right word but um, to disengage from reacting just from being a reactive person Mm -hmm. so you know to be able to step back if even if everyone listening imagines you're in the middle of whatever it is you're upset about you know and it probably could be very very valid but a lot of times not valid things I mean you know if we're reacting to other people all the time and just step back and sort of you know center yourself take some deep breaths calm yourself down you know ask yourself what do I need now Mm -hmm. Um, how can I be kind to myself how can I be kind to the other person if possible Mm -hmm. you know like what is actually happening here because I feel like what happens is people don't have like there should be like a three or four second 
space between somebody saying things and you reacting like it shouldn't be, you know, and I always do that when I used to do parent, I'd say, okay, teenagers, they don't have that space. And so you try to help them develop that space. But sadly, I think a lot of adults of us don't have that space either. And, uh, or something happens and you just need to like literally take a step back and think, wow, okay, so this just happened or this was said or this yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, calm myself down, <laughs> center myself mm-hmm. and then decide, decide, that's a big word, how I'm going to react. Yes. And then hopefully, you know, that where the second part is, is I would hope that compassion for yeah. yourself and for the other person would be part of the response. And yeah. even if when, even if the response is, I'm so upset right now yeah. that I need to take a break yeah. uh, because I don't want to say something I'll be sorry for. Yeah. Like that's compassionate to yourself and the other person. Yeah. Because I think part of us, and I'll speak for myself because I think it's true for others, but for me, it was true. In my marriage for many, many years, I think I had this sort of primal, prim- seriously, like a primal desire that I can just say whatever I want and he's my husband. And so he'll be able to just take it. It's mm. like, yeah, that's what babies do. I mean, like, ser- like, I'm not trying to be mean, but like, you know, babies just scream, right? When they need something, right? Well, they're yeah. babies. They're supposed to do that. And <laughs> as parents, you listen to the cry and you know that that's tired, you know, that that's bottle or, you know, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. But as adults, I think we still have that primal desire that I can just, tell you all the horrible things about you and what you should be doing and you'll be fine with that it's like yeah no actually <laughs> that doesn't actually have what happens it starts tearing yeah. them down and your relationship down and I struggled with I'm just being honest I'm just putting it out there it's like well I could have done that kindly I yes. didn't I didn't and, do and, it kindly and that's where you know because often people go oh well kindness is you know you just don't say anything then and I'm mm, like right mm, no 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 that's <laughs> not kind you know mm-hmm. to not say anything is not kind for you and mm-hmm. is actually not kind for the other person exactly. because there's always something underlying mm-hmm. otherwise it's not clear you know mm-hmm. and kind being um being clear on something is mm-hmm. being kind you just don't need to call them lots of horrible names and right. start yeah. picking up on things in between you know on, exactly. you know the color of their hair today or you know they didn't have a shower last night you know you don't need to be unkind right um, with it and I think there's some you know I definitely feel that there's some kind of confusion somewhere about mm-hmm. that kind of kindness and, mm-hmm. and unkindness yeah, I agree. and um but you know t- disengaging from the reacting and Mm -hmm. and the compassion for yourself I think you're you're so right really it's um sense because the word disengaging came but I I thought no I don't want to get across I'm disengaging from the person I'm not I don't know I don't want to disengage from the person I want to disengage from reacting reacting yeah so I'm glad that that made sense because I was sort of how do I say that no, I think it's perfect and um, and disengaging from reacting. You know, I've been in situations where the the red mist goes and you just think, mm-hmm. I, I can't yes. um, disengage from this. But I'm so consciously aware of it uh-huh. um, that if I go down that road, I think I that wasn't great. Yeah. But I also need to not put myself into this situation again right. whether it's right. the person or whether it's mm-hmm. the person that you're dealing with that you is not good or mm-hmm. you know and that doesn't you know you it's it's 
being okay to say actually this this is not okay right um, right and yeah and kind of and being okay with okay well I learned from that I'm gonna mm-hmm. you know um not do that again yeah exactly <laughs> well you know and the thing is I always think gosh mistakes are fine yeah. it's the not learning from them that's the problem <laughs> you know <laughs> like the mistakes like of course you're gonna I mean I'm assuming mistakes all the time but hopefully if I learn like then that makes that mistake worthwhile yeah you know what I, th- I have to ask one more question and then that's it I promise what what do you believe the purpose of everything is wow life and everything mm. um you know my my faith comes in here of course yeah but I would just say that the general thing would be for me, it would be to draw others and myself closer to God, mm. um, closer to love, closer to kindness. Mm. Yeah, that's what I would say, closer to meaning. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I would say it. What um, but a more perfect way to end our podcast kim i'm um i'm so honored to have that you've been able to spend an hour with me and um and share the story with the listeners i know that people will take so much from everything you've spoken about i know your your website um i will put the details up of that okay Um, great but yeah so everyone's got that but it's um it's kimfrederickson.com and there's loads of information on there (laughs) that you'll just be reading and loads (laughs) of books and just amazing content really for for people to soak up so thanks for sharing that with the world it's an absolute gift that you've given to the world there thank you it's a it's a very different kind of end to my ministry in life that I would have ever anticipated I mean you know it's my my life has taken quite a turn with all this illness but honestly I think I reach more people now than I ever did because I I do write a column for pulmonary fibrosis news and it's read all over the world by thousands and thousands of people and it's just kind of crazy like what the heck I mean this is I mean I was doing good things and you know in my in my counseling practice things like in my world here but God really used the illness, the illness, his illness to reach more people that need yeah. help. Yeah, you know it, that gives me meaning. Even though, I mean, honest, I could, I could, many people in the whole world still wish I didn't have pulmonary fibrosis. But yeah. since I do, I'm happy to help. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're doing an amazing job, Kim, and um, and thank you from from me and from everyone that kind of. Um, you know, take so much from the work that you've put out there. So, yeah, oh, thank you so welcome. much, Kim. You're my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Our Lives podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, do subscribe to us and you can hear more. And of course, tell your friends. Thank you.